All right, we are starting a two-part series. This is going to be the first week called First Class. Uh, before we do that, we are going to be giving back to God, and uh, so thank you for being generous. We're very excited about what you guys have been up to, and this is just about uh, our tithes and thanking God for what He's done and, and uh, being good stewards of that. If you're visiting, don't feel obligated to give. Um, we're just glad that you have uh, visited with us this weekend. So um, we're starting the series, and um, it's called First Class, and I, I've been traveling my entire life. Um, one of the things that's kind of a, a core part of our family was we've, we've traveled, especially internationally a lot because we did a lot of missions work. And, um, and so we, we, uh, we've gone all over the world. And if you really want to feel like you're serving Jesus, just do an 18-hour flight to India in a middle seat, and you will feel like, yes, we are really doing God's work here. Um, and so all those trips, obviously, uh, very impactful, but you don't get to fly first class. I, that's never happened. That's never been a thing. But there has been a couple times in my life that I have got to go, like, first class. It was an upgrade. I don't know how it happened. I don't know, uh, I don't know if we snuck in there and we just said it was an upgrade. I don't know. But there's a few times in my life where I have got to go into first class. And I got to tell you, if you haven't flown first class before, it's a game changer. Um, in fact, what Seinfeld was saying is kind of true is you never want to go back. You're just like, this is a whole different world. You know, this, this changes everything. And so um, it, it's kind of hard to go back, but I uh, did appreciate the few times that I did go to first class. I always feel a little bit like insecure though. Like those, those few times that I have gotten the upgrade, I, I feel like everybody up there knows that I'm not supposed to be there. You know, they kind of look at you like, oh, you're one of the mercy seats that we have up here. Okay, yeah, well, okay, great. You're not one of us, but that's fine. Um, and so the, the thing about it is you know, it drastically transforms your trip. Your journey just becomes that much better. It's almost like when you're flying in coach, you just, you're just waiting. Okay, how long until we're going to get there? Oh, my goodness, it's delayed, whatever. But when you get that upgrade, you're just, you know, let's circle the airport a couple more times. If we need to hang out on the runway, that's not a big deal. I'm just here to relax, you know. It, it, it changes the entire journey. And that's kind of the idea, is we want to give just a couple tips this weekend and next weekend of how you can upgrade your life. We're all on this journey. How you can upgrade it today. All right, and there's going to be some stuff that we're going to pull directly from the Bible, uh, and we're just going to, because we've kind of done this long seven-week series where we've talked about the future, and we've talked about big concepts and all that, and so I just wanted to do like a little timeout for two weeks, and let's talk about some real practical stuff that um, we can upgrade our lives with, and so that's what we're going to be doing. So today we're going to be talking about how to upgrade some of your decisions, and uh, so I need to do a test to see how you do making decisions on the spot, all right? So uh, let me... Uh, let me give you a couple questions. You may be familiar with this game. It's called Would You Rather. We used to play it uh, growing up. So you're going to turn the person around you and you're going to answer this question. First question was, uh, would you rather go a month without technology, that's phone, internet, TV, or a month without bathing? <laughs> if there's any junior hires in the room, we already know what you choose. Okay, so it's either no technology for a month or no bathing for a month. No technology versus no bathing. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. That could be deadly. Okay, how about this? Uh, next one. Would you rather have a five-minute conversation with your past or future self? So you could go back and you can have a five-minute, hey, here's what you need to do. Avoid this. Don't talk to this person. <laughs> you know, whatever. Or future self where they can inform you of what's going to come. And, okay, so what would you rather do? Past self or future self? Five-minute conversation. What would you do? Okay, let me just do a little survey here. Who said, uh, talk to your past self? Okay, all right. Future self? 
Ooh, wow, okay, future self it is. Okay, uh, how about this one? Would you rather win a million dollars or have your best friend win five million dollars? So you get a million or they get five million. And by the way, guys, don't give me this, my wife's my best friend, and so, <laughs> please. That doesn't count. That's just you getting it, okay? Okay, so um, we, I did this with the staff this week, and not one person chose to give their friend $5 million, which I don't know what that says about our staff here, but okay, who said that they would take the million? Yeah, yeah, bunch of selfish people, okay. Uh, five million, who said that they would, yeah, and liars. Okay, good, all right, good. Uh, last one, this is from our junior high department. They said, uh, th this was their question was, would you rather have sandpaper as toilet paper or hot sauce as eye drops? <laughs> Ugh, that's a tough decision. So sandpaper as toilet paper or hot sauce as eye drops. Ooh. What grit, uh, do you say what grit? 80 grit. That makes a big difference, you know? Some of that toilet paper is already like 220, you know, it's a little rough. So, okay. Anyway, uh, I, will not, uh, I will not make you raise your hand for that one. So life is full of tough choices, right? We just did a series of questions in which you had to make decisions. And, uh, and sometimes decisions are difficult to make because like these ones, there's not a clear right or wrong answer. You, you have to weigh your options and figure out, okay, which one is the, you know, the lesser of the two evils or which one's going to be a little bit better. Sometimes decisions are difficult because you have emotion that's attached to it, and so it makes things a little bit foggy. Like we've all been out shopping, and we see something that until then we did not know that we could not live without it. And then we saw it, and we said, oh, I have to have it. I may not be able to afford it, but I have a credit card, and so I'm going to purchase it. There's other times where we have to make decisions in their uh, instant. They're, they're unexpected that we have to make them. Okay, do I go right now? Everybody's leaving. They're getting in the car. Am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to stay? Or sometimes it's because we don't know what is hanging in the balance. We don't know what happens in the future. And so the decision uh, becomes difficult because we don't know what's going to take place. So when I was deciding uh, where to go to college, I had a couple different options, and I knew that my education was hanging in the balance and that my future was gonna be dependent upon where I chose, but what I didn't know was that I would also meet my future wife, Amy, at where I decided to go to college. And so there was a lot of unknowns about the future, and so it became increasingly difficult to decide what I was supposed to do. And so every time we make decisions, uh, what we are doing, whether we realize it or not, is we're running through a series of questions in our mind in order to make the decision. It could be something as simple as, is this a right or wrong thing to do? Or it could be, is this going to make me happy? Is this a healthy thing for me? Is this going to be fun? We answer a series of questions whenever we're going to make a decision. And so I think part of the reason why we make poor decisions or we make decisions that we regret is because we ask the wrong questions. Because whenever we ask the wrong questions, we're always going to get the wrong answers. And so my, my thing today that I want to just kind of, by the way, if you want an example of this, I was a youth pastor for a really, really long time, and um, I would do a dating and sex series. And high schoolers especially, this was their jam, right? It's like every six weeks, like, all right, here we go. We'll talk about it again. And I would get the same question every single time. Um, yeah, how far is too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And what they're asking is, what is the, the minimum amount that I can do and still get by, still be okay? The, the question is, how close to the cliff can I stand without falling off? 
How close to the fire can I get without getting burned? It's the bare minimum question. What's the bare minimum that I can do? And we ask the same question all the time. What is the bare minimum that I can do? How much can I eat without being considered a glutton? That's my personal question. Um, how much can I drink without it being sinful? How, how much can I exaggerate the truth without it being a lie? Now, do I tie on the gross or the net? We just came out of the whole money thing, so some of you guys feel sensitive about that. Also. It's fine. Okay. And so I want to give you a simple question, a question that I think can bring clarity in making our decisions, and it helps us make better decisions, and we're going to have less regret. And this question comes out of a, a piece of scripture. It's in the book of Ephesians, and if you don't know really much about that, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, and he's trying to give them insight into how to live as Christians. And so here's what he says. You have your Bibles. It's in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. It says this, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so what Paul is doing here is he's giving us this new standard for living because most of us were wanting to know what's the bare minimum that I can do and still get by. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're going to have to raise your standard. You're going to have to ask a different set of questions. And so let's start with this question. The question is, what is the wise thing for me to do? Don't ask what I can do in order to just get by. The question now becomes, what is the wise thing that I can do? He says, because the days are evil. If you're going to go out and you compare to the, the culture around you, and that's how you're going to make your decisions, you're going to be in big trouble. Because they're not going to lead you to the place where you want to be. You need to step up in your decision making. You need to upgrade, and you need to begin to ask this question, what is the wise thing for me to do? Wisdom... Um, as far as biblical wisdom, I think can be broken down into kind of a rough def definition, which is knowing and doing the right thing. Knowing and doing the right thing. So there's two pieces to wisdom. There's the practical piece and there's the intellectual piece. The intellectual piece is I know what the right thing to do is in the given circumstance. It's about, it's about reading between the lines. It's about discernment. And then there's this practical piece, which is, and then I actually apply it. I actually go and I do it in my life. And you can't have um, just one. You have to have both. And so, for example, if, if you only, if you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't do it, it's not enough. So for me, I know that the amount of caffeine that I drink on a daily basis is unhealthy, to say the least. Uh, it's maybe a little bit dangerous, I don't know. And yet, I have no desire to decrease my caffeine intake. In fact, I just had some right before I came up here, and it was fantastic, right? <laughs> and so I know, I know what I should do, uh, but I don't do it. So that's not wisdom. Or you might do the right thing, but you don't know why. So uh, my son, he's five years old, and every night and morning I tell him he needs to go and brush his teeth. And he has no idea why, but he does it. He does the right thing, but he doesn't know why he does the right thing, and so that's not really wisdom. It's about knowing and doing is what equals wisdom. And so I know that I should pay my taxes, and I do pay my taxes. And so it is wise that I pay my taxes. That, that's wisdom. And so there's these two parts. There's the knowing and there's the doing. So in Andy Stanley's book, uh, The Best Question Ever, he elaborates on this idea, and he breaks it down into three separate questions. First question is this, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? And so your history is unique. Y you've lived a unique life, and so there are certain things that might be wise for one person but aren't wise for you. It is, uh, for example, let's say that um, you're asking, is it wise for me to have a glass of wine at dinner? And I would say, well, 
I don't know, you tell me, tell me about your past experiences, because if you're in recovery for alcoholism, it is not a wise thing for you to do, but maybe that's never been a struggle of yours, maybe that's not an issue for you, and so fine, it's, it's perfectly fine for you to do that. It's based on your past experiences, your, your unique history. Second question is, in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? And so life is made up of different seasons, and so what's wise for one season may not be wise for another season. My, my, uh, my mother growing up, she worked before she had kids, and then she worked as we got older, but there was a season um, where she decided to be a stay-at-home mom, and, uh, and someone came to me afterward and goes, you know, staying at home is a lot more work than just going to work, and I'm like, amen, sister, like, I, I agree with you, okay, like, that's why I'm not a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> uh-uh, um, and so she decided in that season, the wise thing for her to do as we were young and we're kind of transitioning, we just moved here and all that, that she was going to stay home with us. And that was the wise thing for her. Now, my wife, she still works a few days a week because she can't stand being there every single day with our kids. And so the wise thing in order for her to keep her sanity is for her to go to work. Great. Because the wise thing for different seasons uh, may change. And then the last one, he breaks it down into, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? So yesterday, someone came up to me and said, you know, great question, I was out shopping for a car today. Um, I needed a new car, and I didn't really, I, I, the question I was asking is, can I afford it or not? But the better question is, is this, the, is this a wise thing for me to do? Because I need a car, and so, okay, I need to do that, but I, I determined that I need a car that I can pay cash for because one of my future hopes and dreams is I hope to have a house one day, and I'm also saving up for a down payment. And so the question was not, is it right or wrong to have this car? That, no, that's not the question. The question is, in light of what I hope to do in the future, what is the wise thing for me to do? And so it could change depending on what your hopes and dreams are. So I think if you just took this question and we could end today and we could be done super early and I could say, now go and ask this question, I really do believe that this would resolve a ton of our bad decisions. Like you know in most circumstances of your life what the wise thing for you to do is if you just sat there and you asked the question. If you look at some of your biggest mistakes and regrets, you would say, if I had simply asked what the wise thing for me to do is, I would have avoided that issue. And so if we just took this and, and we just implemented what is the wise thing for me to do, I think that we would be far better off. We'd make much better decisions and have fewer regrets. But there is this, this tiny, tiny bit of questions or tiny bit of uh, decisions that we make where we may not be sure what the wise thing for us to do is. So what if I don't know what the wise thing for me to do is? Well, luckily there's a book. It's a book of Proverbs, and um, it is actually one of three books in the Old Testament that is uh, called the, the, the Wisdom Literature and it's really about how to live a good life, how to, how to make good decisions, how to follow God. And in this, we get some insight into how we can gain wisdom. So uh, I'm going to read one verse out of it. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And so the big picture of, of how to be wise is really to see things from God's perspective. Ultimately, wisdom is seeing things the way that God sees and then acting accordingly. And so if that's the goal, he kind of breaks it down into three themes of how we can begin to do that. The first one that he has is, is this. He says, lean not on your own understanding or do not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, Paul obviously has a lot to say about this. And the thing I like about Paul is he's more explicit in the way that he says things. He doesn't kind of, he, he doesn't kind of uh, massage or, or kind of beat around the bush. He just says, Here's what you need to know, and I like that about him, and so here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 3, 18. 
Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may, not be, so that you may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So he says, you want to learn? You got to admit that you don't know. You want to find your way? You got to admit that you're lost. He kind of throws it out there. The key word here is you're a fool. So you just got to acknowledge that you are not just a little bit off, but you're like way off. You're super confused. You don't know what you're doing. And when you look at you and your understanding of the world and you look at it from God's perspective, you don't know anything. And so the first step to wisdom is you, gotta, you have to acknowledge that you just don't know what you're talking about. You are a fool. And some of you guys think, well, I don't, I don't think I'm a fool. I'm pretty smart. You know, I got it kind of together. Let's do a test. Here's the test. Have you ever looked for your phone while talking on it? <laughs> or your glasses while you're wearing them? Okay. Uh, has a waiter ever told you to enjoy your meal and you responded with, you too? <laughs> and then you could never go back to that restaurant again. Um, do you have to say Wednesday in your head when spelling Wednesday? <laughs> you ever turn the radio down when you're lost? Have you ever tried to go back to sleep and finish a dream once you've woken up? <laughs> if you've done any of those things, my bet is you're a little bit foolish. And I think we all can relate. And so the first step to wisdom is acknowledging that we are a fool. The second is this, is it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, submit to him. After you have acknowledged, I don't know, then you say, God, but you do. I may not have it together, but you do. You know the answers to these questions. And so the key words here are, are submit and trust. Submission is about letting go of the reins of your life. And the visual that I have in my mind is I always just come with open hands. I say, okay, God, it's yours. All my opinions, all my beliefs, all of my money, all of my future hopes and dreams, even my body and the thoughts that I have, they're all yours. I submit them to you. I come to this world open-handed. Whatever you want is yours. And then the next part is, is trust. And that's kind of after I have come with open hands, I, I, I now grab onto Christ and his teachings. And I say, okay, if this is what you want me to do with my future, if this is what you want me to do with my resources, if this is how you want me to treat uh, my, my, my body and treat the people around, that's how I'm going to do it because it's about you. Whatever you ask, my answer will always be yes. And the good news is that God has not left us in the dark wondering, okay, what does he want for me in this area? One of the things that I find the most fascinating about the scriptures, and, and I've had a few years now to be able to study it, is how things can be written a few thousand years ago, like the book of Proverbs, and yet it is still as relevant today as it was back then. It's like God knew what we were going to encounter. He understood the human condition in, in our situation, and so he just gave us all of these instructions of how to live. I've talked about this before, is God primarily uses four ways to communicate to us, through his word, through prayer, through circumstance, and through his people. And so it's not a lack of communication where we don't know what to do, we don't understand what God would want for us in this moment. It's really a lack of submission and trust on our part, because he's communicated fairly clearly on what he wants us to do in any given circumstance. Continues on, and he says that the fear of the Lord, in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom, which this is a little bit confusing, because if you've been around church for a little while, we, we talk about fear, and we talk about how Jesus tells us to not fear, that we're not supposed to have the spirit of fear, that, the, that love casts out this fear, and so how do we reconcile those two? Is we're supposed to be Christians, and we're not supposed to be afraid, and yet it says to fear the Lord. 
Well, I think you got to understand that there's different types of fear. One fear is an unhealthy fear. The other is a healthy fear. And so an unhealthy fear would be, you know what? I, I just can't do it. I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to try. I, I'm just, I'm too insecure. I'm too afraid. And that's an unhealthy fear. But then there's also this healthy fear. Like on the way here this morning, I, I wore a seatbelt. And I did it because I was afraid of getting a ticket. And I was also afraid if, if we got in an accident, I could get hurt. And so that was a healthy fear. And I believe that God gives us these healthy fears in order to protect us, in order to guide us. This is also true in our relationships. Is there such thing as an unhealthy and a healthy fear? Unhealthy fear is I don't trust them. I don't trust them because I'm concerned that they're going to do something that's going to that's hurt me. But a healthy fear is I just don't want to disappoint. I don't want to hurt them. So uh, when my daughter was born, our first child, um, I was, you know, in my 20s, and I had never really been around little kids before. You know, like I'd seen them, and I'm like, oh, that's, a, that's a cute one that you got there, you know? Like, I don't really want anything to do with it, but and then you have this child, and all of a sudden, and I still to this day cannot believe they do this, is that you have a child, they give you zero instructions, and they just hand them to you and go, okay, you can go home now, and you're like, what? I don't even sign any paperwork or anything like that? Like, what do we, is there a title for this thing? I don't even know how this works. And I'm, I'm holding her for the first time, and I'm looking down, and she's just beautiful. She is so cute, and I am terrified. I'm not afraid because she's going to do anything to me. She can't do anything. And yet, I'm afraid because I don't want to disappoint her. I don't want to hurt her in any way. She's beautiful. She's fragile. And so there's this healthy fear that I have that I just don't want to hurt you. I think the same is, is true of Christians. Is One of the fears that we have is not that God's going to be angry at us and we're going to lose our salvation. And it, but I am afraid that I'm going to disappoint him. I mean, he's been so good to me. He's done so much more for me than I deserve. And so I would hate to hurt the ones that I love. This is true of my relationship with God. There's also this fear that, it's a different kind of fear. There's the fear that I don't want to disappoint him, but there's also the fear of the Lord in, in a different way. Um, and I think it's best illustrated in the, the book um, Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And so if you're familiar with the scriptures, there's different symbolism that uh, is used for God. There's the lion and the lamb, and we love the symbolism of the lamb, because he's cute, and he's cuddly, and he's like a giant teddy bear in the sky, and we just want to hug this God, and that's great. But there's also the other aspect, which is don't forget that God is also a lion. And so in the book, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he, um, he creates the main character, Aslan, and, and Aslan is a, li a lion, and, and Mr. Beaver tells Susan that, you know, it's not a guy, because she had assumed it was a guy the whole time, it's actually a lion. And she's kind of shocked by this, and here's the interaction that they have. She asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And so there's this fear that we have of the Lord, and it's a reverential fear. It's a fear when we realize who God is, his magnitude, his holiness, his righteousness, his power, his justice, that we realize who he is, and then we also get a good glimpse of who we are, and we realize we are none of those things. And we also see that he hates sin, and that one day he will pour out judgment and wrath upon sin, and as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of that because Christ has taken that punishment for us. But we should be afraid of the discipline that can come along the way when we step out of line. We don't like this idea, but just follow me for a second here. 
any good parent knows that a part of their job is disciplining their kids. And, and so for me, uh, my middle child, he's a, he's a wild man, okay? He is all over the map all the time. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to do two things. One, I'm trying to make sure that he knows that I love him and I would do anything for him. So this last week we were uh, doing our bedtime prayers, we do that every night, and uh, I try to do this on a regular basis. I, I said, he's, you know, squirming around, he's crazy. Ah! I say, hey, bud, look at me. Let's make, make eye contact. Yeah. Oh, hey, I just need you to know, I love you so much. And he looks at me and he goes, Dad, enough already, dude. I get it, okay? I understand. You love me. <laughs> I'm like, you could have responded with a bag, but that's fine. Maybe we'll work on that. And so he knows that I love him, but here's the other thing. I'm also trying to instill in him a healthy fear that it will mean something when mom says, you wait until your father gets home because there's going to be punishment. I want him to, to have a healthy fear because I, I want to discipline him, not in spite of my love, but because of my love. I want him to become a person who, who not only respects the people around him, but loves the Lord, and part of that process is going to be, I'm going to have to discipline him along the way. And so there's a fear in there, and I think that's the fear of the Lord. Last part is that uh, we are supposed to shun evil. And so this one's pretty easy, this one's pretty obvious, is, is once we know what the right thing is to do, once we know what the wise thing is for us to do, then we actually have to go and we have to do it. We have to put it into practice. It's two parts, it's knowing and it's doing. And so here's what I wanna close with is, um, Andy Stanley's book, he says this, I think it's great, is he says, no one plans to mess up their life. I have never met anyone who said, you know, my goal was to just, just screw this thing up royally, and I have done a great job at it. I've never met anybody. I've never, I've, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've never been to a wedding in which the couple is standing there, and one says to the other, I hope you like to fight. <laughs> oh, I have some unresolved daddy issues, and they're going to become your fault pretty soon. We're going to party, okay? We're going to, I've seen it happen a lot, but I've never seen anyone stand there and say it. I've never seen a new parent hold their beautiful baby girl or boy and they look at him and they go, okay, can you say codependent? <laughs> yeah? That's where we're heading. It's going to be fun. You're going to need years of therapy to get over what I'm going to do to you, right? No one says that. That is not a thing. I've seen it a lot, but I've never seen someone say that before. It's because no one plans to mess up their life or somebody else's. The problem is, is that no one plans not to mess up their life either. Is everybody is heading somewhere, but very few people head somewhere on purpose. And so that's why this last verse I think is important because it talks about intentionality. In Proverbs 3, 13, it says, blessed are those who, this is important, find wisdom. Because here's the thing, wisdom doesn't happen by accident. You don't just walk along and you stumble over wisdom and it's just, wow, there it was. It hit me right in the face. Now I'm wise. You don't go to sleep a fool and wake up and you go, today I see the world differently. I have found wisdom. No, 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 no. It is something that you have to intentionally pursue. And so I think the pursuit of wisdom is all of these things. It's about, um, it's about seeing things from God's perspective and continuing to, to pursue that. But one of the ways that we can upgrade and we can make better decisions this week and have less regrets is by simply coming and asking this question. If we'll just stop long enough to ask the question, what is the wise thing for me to do? I think we're going to start to make some better decisions. Let's pray. Lord God, 
We thank you so much for uh, this church and um, just the, inc the incredible work that you've been doing here and the generosity that we have seen. And yet, uh, some of us are facing some decisions that we have to make. Maybe big, maybe small, um, but we need your wisdom. And you say that if we seek you out, that you, you will guide us. And so, Lord, help us to, um, to pursue you, to pursue your wisdom, and to stop long enough to be able to really ask the question, what is the wise thing for us to do? And so, Lord God, we want to walk out of here and make better decisions, upgrade the way that we decide what to do. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.